When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news! You found the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. Grant is the founder of Dorhout Retirement Services, and he's been guiding people financially and into retirement for nearly 20 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. It's time for the Retirement Blueprint. And now, here are your hosts, Grant Dorhout and Jeff Shea. Good morning and welcome to the Retirement Blueprint, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. On today's show, we're going to be talking about what you can do now to avoid paying higher taxes in 2026. Also, the most overlooked tax breaks for retirees and people over the age of 65. Then we'll talk about the death of a spouse, the underdiscussed risk in retirement, and we'll wrap it up with how hybrid life insurance pays for long-term care. My name is Jeff Shade and I am Jeff just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice, of course, come from Grant Dorhout, founder and wealth advisor of Dorhout Retirement Services right here in Omaha. Grant, how are you this weekend? I'm doing wonderful. Glad that we got away from a little bit of that cold we experienced a couple weeks ago. It feels a lot better, a little bit like spring might be around the corner. Yeah. I know we got a long ways to go get through February here, but it's it's looking better. Yeah, hopefully it's not wishful thinking. I found it amazing that, you know, we were at zero degree temperatures and then we, you know, we jumped up to 20 degrees and then 40 degrees. And before you knew it, it was almost 60 degrees out there. Nevertheless, we'll get through it here. We're hardy here, right here in uh, Omaha. So before we get started with all this, Grant, let's talk about current events. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Dow and the S&P 500 were setting some pretty high marks there. What do you think this means for us uh, moving forward with the economy? And more importantly, what does it mean to the average person, the investor? listening to the program today. Yeah, I think actually 2024, I've said it for a bit, I think 2024 is going to be a good year. We said it at the beginning of 2023. We did a, last weekend we had a beginning of the year party for all of our clients, just a client appreciation where they could bring some friends. And and we talked about what we see coming in in 2024, much like we saw in 2023. There was a lot of people that were saying 2023 was going to be a bad year. And we were on the other side of it saying, you know, we actually see it being a, a bullish year. We were seeing upwards of 15% for the stock market in 2023 and and potential for bullish upside beyond that. We hit that last year. And actually this year, we don't, we don't see it being quite as good, but we do see it being a positive year. Some people are out there saying, oh no, it's a presidential election year. This is terrible. This is horrible. But if you actually analyze the data and you look back over the last 10 presidents, that was their first term as a presidency, if you look at every single one of the last 10 that had that, the presidential election year, it was a positive. It was a bullish year. And there's a lot more data behind it. There's a lot more in terms of you know, the jobs reports. And there's a lot more from a productivity standpoint, as well as what's happening in business that's supporting it. But that's one indicator. You know, I hear a lot of people saying presidential election year, it's always bad. That's not actually true. It's a, it's a positive thing that we're looking for this year. Of course, there can be some curveballs, but I think the fact that we already have had Jerome Powell saying that we're going to decrease rates, I don't see it happening 
soon. I think it's going to be mid-year, but those things are going to be propelling the market and the fact that inflation's down. We all are going to the grocery store and still saying, my goodness, I can't believe how expensive things have gotten. Right. But the, the pain is lessening and you can actually see it when you're looking at the data and you look at the CPI. So I think it's going to be a good year. I think we got good things to look forward this year. Hopefully we don't have the unrest that we had in 20. I think that, that we're shaping up in a better way from that standpoint as well, which isn't going to hurt our market. So really looking forward to seeing what happens this year, but I'm, I'm definitely bullish, definitely positive. Yeah, I'm the same way with you. And of course, this is uh, probably one of the most contentious election cycles that we can remember in our history. Either one of the people who becomes president, I mean, if Trump is the nominee, it will not be his first time. And as far as the rate hikes go or rate reductions go that you talked about, inflation still is stubbornly a little over 3% as we do this broadcast. Of course, the goal is going to be 2%. So a lot of people were thinking that there was going to be uh, rate reductions in March, but I'm with you. I think it's going to be probably towards the middle of the year. Grant, I read opposing viewpoints all the time on the web, and the one I'm going to bring up right now is about recession. There's a fellow named Jeff Gunlack, and he is the president of one of these big investment firms. He says that there's a 75% still of a recession happening in 2024. I'm just not seeing it. What's your opinion on that? I don't know what data he's looking at because the data that we look at and the data that we've received from the Carson Group it doesn't support that. It really doesn't. You look at the labor market and you look at where profits are. You look at the S&P 500. We're looking at potentially record profits again for the S&P 500. If you're looking at companies investing in themselves, you're looking at the expansion, you're looking at productivity, you're looking at wage growth. I mean, you think about wage growth that we've seen and people have a balance sheet that is more positive. You look at our, our nation and you look at the net worth of people in our nation it doesn't support it. This is better than the late 90s. This is better than any time that we've seen in the 2000s. So there is no sign of recession that, that we can see when we're looking at the data because of the labor markets, because of productivity, because of profits that we're seeing. I don't know what he's seeing, but what we have, it is definitely not supporting what his thought is of, of a recession. We just don't agree. We're talking with Grant Dorhout here of Dorhout Retirement Services right here in Omaha. By the way, if you want to get in touch with us and give us your opinion about what we're talking about, maybe you've got some comments about some of the things you'd like us to talk about, our number 402-281-0750, 402-281-0750. And we'll tell you in just a moment how you can call that number and get in and sit down with Grant and get your Peace in Retirement blueprint at no cost and no obligation. So Grant, I talked about the fact that we will be talking about the sunset of the Trump uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act coming in 2026. Now, a couple of years ago, when we talked about this, it was like, well, that's so far into the future. I don't need to worry about that. It's going to be 2026. Well, Grant, it's yep. now, what, two years away? Yeah. Yeah. I've been beating that drum for several years. Just ask any of my clients. We've talked about this tax planning that we have to do and we have to look at what the options are now versus what happens in 2026 because if it does sunset what we don't have as a guarantee is that we're going to go back to the not only the same rates that we had in 2017 but the thresholds if you look at someone that was making $180,000 back in 2017 just as a for instance married filing joint making 180,000 you'd have 28% as your federal tax bracket but in in the year 2023 you're going to be in the 22% bracket so 
I mean, we, we have opportunities that we still can utilize with these tax laws that we have. And if it's someone that's in retirement or nearing retirement, looking at how much we have in our traditional IRAs, it's a very important time. You don't want to miss this opportunity. We're not guaranteed just to go to the 2017 rates. And we're also not guaranteed that, you know, the 25% bracket's going to cut off at the $150,000 mark for married filing joint. I don't know that I want to take a, a chance with my money. I, I definitely don't want to take that chance with my client's money and the listeners out there. I think you're taking a big risk and a big gamble when we have $33.5 trillion in national debt and a government that is definitely not going to slow down on its spending. It's a big opportunity that we have to at least look into what the options are for each individual right now in the next couple of years. Right. So tax planning is now more important than ever. We're having a tax sale right now, but eventually that tax sale is going to go away. And to your point about $33 trillion in national debt, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, if we don't raise it through increases in taxes, how are we going to raise that? Can we cut enough spending to make up the gap? I mean, I would like these tax cuts to continue. I have benefited from them, and I think most of our listeners have benefited from them. But if these tax rates do not revert back to what they were, I think that we're going to be in some trouble. But if I'm hearing you correctly, there are tax strategies or some things that we can do today to combat those tax rates going back to the way that they were. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we do this all the time with people. I was just meeting with a gentleman yesterday and we were we were having this discussion about the opportunity that we have. You know, if someone like this gentleman, if you have a million dollars in traditional IRA, I say this all the time. If you have a million in a traditional IRA that you haven't paid taxes on, you really don't know how much of that million you have because we don't know what the tax law is going to be 10 years from now. And I really firmly believe, I think we're going to look back in the year 2034, I think we're going to look back at 2024 and say, my goodness, what a deal we had from yeah. a tax perspective. And if we don't act now, I think we're going to really sorely regret it in 2034. It just is responsible to actually look at all of these options and see what the rules of the game are and if there's a way that you can play the game a little bit better from a tax perspective. Yeah, we don't want to have remorse, as you said, looking back in the future and saying, boy, I wish I would have taken advantage of the opportunities mm -hmm. that Grant presented to me back in 2024 because now I'm really suffering the consequences. As I said, I mean, most people have benefited from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. The big thing for me was the uh, standard deduction and the personal exemption. I mean, it was, uh, t what is it, like $27,700 this year, up from 12700 for a married couple. And then if you're over the age of 65, it's an additional $1,550. So that definitely can affect taxes. You were talking about the $33 trillion there, and we were talking about the fact that tax increases certainly are something that I think is going to be more than likely. It is amazing the things that the American government spends money on. I think there's a lot of room for us to cut out wasteful spending. I did a little research to see some of the things, some of the odd things that we're spending money on. The government spent $25,000 on a promotional tour for a watermelon queen in some small town someplace. That's $25,000. There also was a $20,000 yep. study. This is true. That was studying the effects of using a leaf blower for blowing lizards out of trees. Another big study, <laughs> you know, why ridiculous. do chimps throw excrement at people, you know, that are looking out? The, they actually spent money on that. One of the big ones was well over a million dollars, and that was upgrading federal travelers or people working for the federal government from a coach up to business class. Do you really think that there is enough wasteful spending that we can close that $33 trillion? 
trillion dollar gap? Or do you think that tax rates going up are just inevitable and we've just got a plan for it now? What you're talking about right now, I think, is a perfect example of why everyone this year is going to be focused on the presidential election. And right. That's, that's, that's for good reason, of course. However, what you're talking about just illustrates the disconnect that our politicians get when they've been in Washington for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That's a complete disconnect. No one in their right mind in Omaha, Nebraska would say, you know what? Hey, I'm, I'm working. I'm making X amount of dollars. But you know what? I'm going to spend $25,000 to figure out this thing about lizards being blown out of a tree. No one in their right mind, if you are actually running the country, if you're looking at the finances like you would look at it in a business, you would never do some of these things. It's appalling when you look at the wasteful spending. I've talked to plenty of people that work in the government, whether it be from a military standpoint or any other area where they say things like, well, you know, it was use it or lose it money, so we decided to blow it on whatever. That is absolutely horrible from a business standpoint. You would never do that if you're saying, hey, business owner, I know that we have this in our budget and uh, you know we're way under budget, so should we just waste it on this? No, no one would ever say that no. in a true business environment. It's really unfortunate. I think we can close the gap, but I've done this, this in the past, about a little over 20 years ago when I was in college, we were having this discussion from the wasteful spending back then. We actually tried to balance the budget. I would encourage people to actually go through the United States budget and then go through the different programs and look where you would cut. It's a good exercise to do this year, especially when you're looking at the different programs that are out there. It is difficult to do, but what you just mentioned, it's not difficult for me to cut any one of those no. out. But, but you know, maybe someone does uh, really have a passion for figuring out what leaf blower can blow a lizard out yeah. of the tree. I don't, <laughs> I don't share that. No, it doesn't apply to us in Omaha. I've never had lizards in my trees in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, again, you know, it's just, it's crazy. It's just shameful the wasteful spending out there. And I think even from a personal standpoint, I mean, at least once a year I go through expenditures too. And there are a lot of little things, you know, there are subscriptions to streaming services mm-hmm. and things that we subscribe to to watch one show then we never watch them again. And if the United States government did a similar thing to that, we'd be in a lot better situation than we are today. Grant, based on our conversation here, I'm willing to bet that our listeners maybe have some questions of you about how they can prepare for the expiration of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that is going to be sunsetting at the end of 2025. If that is you, if you've got questions, I invite you to request your no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment Dorhout Retirement Services review by calling 402-281-0750. We call it the Peace in Retirement Blueprint. When you call, you'll get a friendly voice, more than likely Lisa. She'll just gather some basic information from you, then set you up with a conversation with Grant to create a path towards retirement that you've always looked forward to. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that, when addressed, may help improve the quality of life in a retirement in which taxes are higher, but also could last 30 years. Once again, that number, 402-281-0750. You can also request your complimentary consultation online at dorhoutretirementservices.com, D-O-R-H-O-U-T, retirementservices.com. Want more strategies to support the quality of life you want for 30-plus years? Stick around. There's more Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout in just a moment. You can't start a trip you've never taken without a plan. And you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely. To request your no-cost, no-obligation Dorhout Retirement Roadmap, Call 402-281-0750. 
or request it online at DorhoutRetirementServices.com. Now, back to more of Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much for joining us here for the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. We're here for you each and every week for your fiscal fitness, your financial education here on 1290 COIL. We've been talking about what happens when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act sunset at the end of 2025, which, by the way, isn't that too far into the future right now. It snuck up on us if you've missed that part of the program. Once again, we're a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast. Search for the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. You'll find this show and all of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your journey towards a confident retirement. Okay, Grant, in the last segment, I sort of made a little bit of a mistake there. I was talking about some of the uh, standard deductions here, and I was looking at a chart for really what they were in 2023. Now, we're filing for 2023 right now, and I intended to talk about what they were going to be for 2024 standard deductions. In 2023, for a married person, it was $12,700. For 2023, for uh, married people, $27,700. But for 2024, those are going to increase a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, it's looking at 14,600 for a single and then 29,200 standard deduction for married filing joint. So when you look back to 2017, the standard deduction was 12,700 and then for a married filing joint. Now it's going to be 29,200. If you want points of clarification, don't take this as tax advice. This is something that you always got to (laughs) verify these things with your tax professional. And the person that's doing your taxes, that's where you want to get your final say. We're giving you some generic things. Hey, looking back to 2017, if we get that standard deduction, I mean, we're looking at, you know, $17,000 or so that we're not going to be able to have as as a part of our standard deduction. So that's part of our planning that we want to do looking forward to 2026 when this current tax law is scheduled to revert back. And that's one part that you have to be considering. So again, it can be a little bit confusing if you're using one of the uh, online tax services like uh, TurboTax or something like that, it should get that right for you. And TurboTax, some of the online tax planning software is really fine if you've got a simple tax return, you know, not a lot of complications. But if you've got more than that, probably a good idea to consult with a certified public accountant who may specialize in what you're doing. There are specialties in the CPA world, Grant, that I found out. I mean, there are CPAs that specialize uh, in people who have farmland. There are CPAs specialized in people who have businesses. I mean, there are entertainment CPAs. Have you found that all CPAs are not created equal? Oh, definitely not. My father-in-law is a CPA and he, the way that he does things, he's in a farming community like you actually just referenced. He predominantly deals with farming communities and farmers, and but that's not his only specialty, of course, but definitely not one size fits all from a CPA standpoint or from a, from a tax preparer standpoint. There's a lot of people that'll uh, you know, they'll go to H&R Block and that's fine for a lot of people. But if you have a if you have a business, if you have a little bit more complicated return, you're probably going to be looking for some more specialized advice, I would guess, just like when you're looking at financial advisors. Not all financial advisors are created equal. I was talking about the gentleman I met with yesterday and he had an advisor that was totally fine to get him to retirement, but it takes a different type of specialty to get someone through retirement because there's so many different things that you have to consider, not only from a tax perspective, 
perspective, but from a healthcare and income, there are so many different things that are going to get thrown at you in retirement that you, you need some different specialized advice and you need the same thing from a CPA. Right. It is just like a doctor. I mean, you've got your general practitioner who can handle most things, but if you've got some sort of special problem, then you go to a specialist same way with your financial advisor and same way with your CPA. So again, like we said, those online tax programs are great for a simple return. The big box tax stores are great for that too, but take a look at your situation and ask yourself, do I really need more? Okay, Grant, in this segment, I'm going to talk about some most overlooked look tax breaks for retirees and people over the age of 65. Of course, as we're broadcasting this show today, it is the beginning of tax season, our favorite time of the year. And uh, I know tax preparers and CPAs are busy. They're working Saturdays and nights all the way through April 15th. And then they start on those uh, returns for people who have filed extensions. So let's talk about some of the most overlooked tax breaks for retirees and people over the age of 65. What's the first one, Grant, that you want to bring up? Yeah, the first one's pretty simple. Actually, if you're over 65, you get a little bit extra standard deduction. So, and, and not only that, if someone's blind, they get a, a little extra standard deduction as well. But for a single, you would actually be looking at 1950 that if they're blind, uh, if they're just blind. But if they're 65 and older and blind, then they're going to have a little additional benefit there for a standard deduction that's 3900 But for those out there that are just over 65, you're looking at 1550 for single and then 3100 additional for married filing jointly or separately actually you look at the 3100 that's up a little bit about a hundred dollars uh, from last year in each of those categories give or take between 50 and actually 200 so little additional benefit for those that are 65 and older on the standard deduction side of it yeah that is a nice bonus in addition to that uh, i think rather generous standard deduction that we were talking about earlier too so let's move on ira contribution from a spouse this is one that sometimes people do miss yeah, that one gets missed a lot. I actually had a client of mine, uh, if Nancy's listening, she brought this up to me several years ago. She had a former financial advisor that she was still working and her husband was no longer working and she went into their financial advisor and said, hey, I want to make an IRA contribution into my husband's IRA. And he said, no, you can't do that. And she said, yes, I can. I've done it for years since he's been retired. And that is a benefit. If you're still working and your spouse isn't, you have that earned income. If you're married filing joint, you got that earned income income and then you can actually make a contribution to their IRA or even a Roth IRA for that matter. That is something that definitely gets missed, not only by individuals or by those that are listening to the program, perhaps by their financial advisor as well. Talking about most overlooked tax breaks for retirees and people over the age of 65 with Grant Dorhout of Dorhout Retirement Services right here in Omaha. Next one is one that I didn't know about, and that is Medicare premiums. I didn't know that they were tax deductible. Yeah, this is a good one. Medicare premiums tax deduction. So let's let's say someone becomes self-employed after they retire. And, and this can be anything. What if it's a consultant? Or let's say they become a woodworker. Or uh, I wouldn't say that anyone that I've golfed with that is a client of mine, that sh- they should say they're a professional golfer. But you get the idea. If someone becomes self-employed after right. they are retired, if after they're 65, you're looking at Medicare Part B and D, plus the cost of supplement insurance that can be deductible for self-employed retirees. And and here's a caveat there that some people would say, well, then I got to itemize. That's not actually true. Whether or not you itemize, you can actually have a a deduction on those if you become self-employed. I have one of my clients, Brian just popped into my head. He's still working, but when he retires, I know he is going to be a painter. Uh, he's painting and he he uses it as a hobby now, but he's starting to enter painting competitions mm. where he can have prize money. That is something 
something where he can legitimately be self-employed right. in retirement and get an additional tax benefit that a lot of people are going to miss. Yeah, and that's something that we've talked about before, and that's having something to retire to. And in the case of Brian, he's being a painter. He's keeping himself busy, and he's enjoying life. So hats off to Brian for doing that. Okay, next one is a tax credit for low-income older adults. Yeah, tax credit for lower income older adults. Yes, you're going to have an additional one. We don't run across a ton of them, but if someone is in very low income, they can have an additional tax credit there, which can help them. And this can be in, an, in, in a year where, let's say, Brian is self-employed and he has not taken his Social Security and he doesn't make anything as painting in that year. In that particular scenario, he would qualify for that additional tax credit. So that that is something out there that does get overlooked. And these are things that you need to go through with your tax preparer that, hey, is there an opportunity here? Should I delay certain incomes? Should I not take pension? Should I? Is there something that makes sense? There's a lot of strategy that can go into the tax preparation and tax strategy for when you're in retirement, including timing your tax payments. You know, a lot of people think about the fact that April 15 or around there is when, hey, you know, that's when I have to have my taxes paid. Or if I extend it until October, you know, October 15 is going to be my deadline. But your tax is actually due when you earn the income. So if you're in retirement, you got to get with your tax preparer. If it's a CPA or or anyone that does your taxes, you got to get with them and make sure if, if you need to start making some some of your your quarterly tax payments and estimations because if you don't you can have penalties and those t- penalties can get pretty steep this is a huge area that we do see overlooked with people with their income that they think well hey you know what i retired and they forget about the fact that their employer was making these quarterly payments for right, them right. when they were taking it out of their check if you're if you're not taking out enough from your income from your social security or your pension or anything like that you could have an issue on your hands so make sure you're diligent in that making sure that you're having your payments made on time you don't want to see anyone out there get hit with a penalty unnecessarily And that brings up a good point, Grant. I was thinking about disbursements from retirement income. How is tax normally handled on that? Is there the ability to withhold tax as opposed to making those quarterly payments? Yeah, we have the option on every single distribution to be be able to have those taxes withheld. And we know what our incomes are for our clients. So, you know, if they're an income under $100,000, we're typically going to have 12% federal and 5% state withheld. So about 17% withheld from a $10,000 distribution, be about $1,700. That's withheld and sent right away for you. And we do that from Charles Schwab when we do those, do those distributions or for any other source that we're taking that income from. We're talking about some missed opportunities for people over the age of uh, 65 as far as their taxes go. The last one here applies to avoiding the pension payout trap. Yeah, this one is, it's, it's kind of complicated. I'm not going to get into the weeds too much with it. But if you look at someone taking out taxes, if it's done in a specific kind of way from an annuity or from a pension, or if you take a distribution from a different IRA or anything like that, the company's going to have to withhold a flat 20% for the IRS in certain instances. But you also have to be aware of something else. When you're doing rollovers, I've run into this in the past where if someone does a rollover and they say, you know what, I want to pull money out of my IRA that I just did a rollover of. I I went from a 401k into a traditional IRA. Pay attention to this. This can get a little muddy. If someone rolls over a million dollars from their 401k into a traditional IRA 
And then they say six months later, hey, you know what? I want to pull money out of my IRA. I maybe want to buy a house and then I want to put it back in within 60 days. That's not an option at that point. You're going to have a little bit of a loophole there as well that you have to be aware of with your rollovers. Let's say I have a real estate mogul that wants to pull money out of their IRA, buy a house, sell the house, put the money back into the IRA within 60 days. Although that's unlikely that we're going to be able to get all of those things done, you will not have that option from your IRA if you've done a rollover in the last 12 months. Big, big deal there for those that think that they're going to access that money and then put it right back in within 60 days. You can do that, but not if you've done a rollover from a 401k or from an employer-sponsored plan into a traditional IRA in the last 12 months. Grant, I'm sure that our listeners may have some questions about anything that we talked about on the show today and their journey towards a confident retirement. If that is you, we invite you to call us and request your complimentary Doorhout Retirement Reviews. Just a friendly conversation with Grant that will cover a wide range of topics based on your individual situation so you can proactively adjust your financial plan to address your retirement journey and, of course, any blind spots that may hinder you from reaching your goal. Once again, no cost, no obligation for this financial consultation. Certainly, there is no judgment. Grant will meet you where you are. That number again, 402-281-0750. It's 402-281-0750. And remember, this one call could make all the difference. You can also request your complimentary plan online at DoorHoutRetirementServices.com. That's D-O-R-H-O-U-T, RetirementServices.com. Want more talk about sustaining your wealth and thriving in a retirement that could last 30 plus years? Stay tuned for more Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout after this. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good, because it's time for more Retirement Blueprint with your financial Sherpas, Grant Dorhout and Jeff Shea. We so much appreciate you making us part of your weekend. Of course, this is Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. We're here for you every week here on 1290 Coil, and we've had a great discussion today about tax things. I mean, the tax season is here. Whether we like it or not, it's going to go through probably the middle of April. But of course, as we've discussed in the program before, tax season really is all year long. You've really got to pay attention to tax planning. So we'll probably touch on that a few more times this year. This segment, I want to talk about the death of a spouse, uh, Grant, and this is something that happens, I think, relatively frequently, is that a client will come into you and unbeknownst to you, you found out that unfortunately a spouse has passed away. So this, I think, is one of the most under-discussed risks in retirement. So let's start at the top. What is the number one thing or the number one obstacle that they really need to overcome when it comes to the death of a spouse? Well, first off, I think that everyone out there, if you lose a spouse, this is a very, very terrible time to be making significant decisions. So if you have anyone, I I had several of them last year. I I had uh, several widows that called me and unfortunately said that their husband had passed away. and, And I let them know, each of them, we don't have to make decisions immediately. There's a couple of things that we absolutely have to do that we can't delay on, but the majority of the things we can, we can wait a little bit and we got to wait until we're past the point where we're going to make emotional decisions that maybe are to our detriment. So Mm -hmm. each of the spouses that I had, they, they reacted very differently. One of them pops into my head and she was okay to make decisions within about a month and a half. Another one of them, it took her six months before she was in a good headspace to actually Mm -hmm. be able to make good financial decisions. And and having someone that, that, that's going to be patient with you and not get you to make decisions. I had one years ago that, the, that a financial advisor actually showed up at a 
funeral. Oh my and, gosh, uh, and they, that's and, horrible. And they, yeah, it's horrible that oh. that they introduce themselves oh. at the funeral. That is not the time or the place. It's not appropriate at all. Not okay. So the first thing that people have to get over is they have to get past that emotional stage. I don't hear people talk about that very often from the financial advisor stage, but you have to give yourself time to get past that grieving and then you can make a good financial decision. Now, there are some things, though, that time is of the essence. I would imagine that Social Security mm-hmm. is one because Social Security payments come Correct. once a month. So that is something that really yep. needs to be taken care of. How does Social Security handle the death of a spouse when you've got two Social Security checks? That's something you're going to want to take care of immediately. That's one of the things that we talk to each of the spouses. Hey, we need to make sure of this part right away. And and that's the Social Security. We don't really have the liberty to delay six months on that because we don't want to have to be paying those monies back. But mm-hmm. let's say if I have someone that has a $2,000 or $3,000 check and their spouse is getting uh, significantly less. Let's say one of them is $3,000 and the other one is Mm $1,500. What's going to happen is that $1,500 one is going to go away. It doesn't matter whose check the $3,000 one is, that one is going to stay intact at that point. You have to be aware of that and do your planning accordingly. I was just meeting with a gentleman yesterday that I've referenced a couple of times. I was meeting with him discussing that very thing. Well, what's going to happen if he passes away? What's going to happen for his spouse that's about five years younger? What's she going to get if he's gone prematurely? So we were going over the the reduction in in the Social Security. So then, okay, how's that going to impact the investment plan paying uh, into her income for mm-hmm. the rest of her life. Is that going to be sustainable if something happens to him prematurely? And that that's a question that we have to find an answer to prior to actually pulling the trigger to fully retire. Yeah. So there's so many things to consider, not the least of which is social security. And as you said, if there are two social security checks, one is 3000, the other is 1500, the surviving spouse will get the higher of the two checks. Now, is this something that you give social security call on? I mean, how do you let social security know that one spouse has died and what sort of documentation do they need? Yeah, they're going to need a death certificate. You will want to call them relatively quickly. I'd say within a week, they're going to require a death certificate and they're going to ask you for the documentation that for you to get their check moving forward. Or if the spouse, let's say the husband is the one that had the $3,000 check, the the wife had the 1500 and the wife passed away, then you're going to give them the documentation to stop the $1,500 per month check from social security in that way. So if one makes three, the other makes 15, that's $4,500. Now the single person has a $3,000 check as opposed to $4,500. Do the expenses necessarily go down to account for this lesser check? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of people think that it will because, well, I have one less mouth to feed. I have one less plane ticket to purchase. I have one less, I have one less, all of these things. But what I've found in my experience in the last 20 years is that's not always true. Sometimes it is, but that's not always true. What I've seen a lot of people have is they have a, a for the following few years as a, I don't know if it's a coping mechanism or if it's just, you know, hey, we, we're going to be more active for a myriad of reasons. But I've seen the actual the expenses not only stay the same, but even go up in some mm. instances, because if we don't have kids in our same town, we might be flying more to see them. We're flying on vacations with them so that we can we can have some normalcy in our life for the next few years. 
I've seen people go out to eat more often with their kids and then mom or dad wants to pay because they don't want it to be a burden on the kids. And I get right. that, but, but you got to plan for these things and, and have a contingency in your retirement plan and in your income more so than just, well, I'm just going to call my advisor and say, hey, can I get some more money? I'm, I'm running out. That's not a plan. That's a reaction. And we want to be more proactive before we get to retirement to say, you know what, if these things happen, if we have a, a spouse pass away, how are we going to fill in that gap so that they're not going to sit at home and watch grass grow? We don't want that. That's not good for their health. So we have to plan for these things in advance. And we do that for every single one of our clients. And consider too that whether one person is living in your house or not, still property taxes have to be paid and they don't reduce them whether one or two mm-hmm. people are living in the house. Also, there may be repairs in the house, you know, cars, you know, break down, that sort of thing. There's so many things and mm-hmm. expenses that continue. Your cable bill is the same unless you decide to downsize a little bit. And that brings me to downsizing a house. I mean, some people may not be able to afford to stay in the house that they have been in. And then they face the situation. Well, maybe I've got to sell this house and go into another one. So there are a lot of things that need to be addressed when a spouse dies, but they don't need to be addressed right away. Probably the one within the first 30 days, as you said, is going to be Social Security and getting that higher check. Now, the next one I want to talk about preparing for the loss of a spouse has to do with pensions. Now, you do have a choice when you elect to have your pension that you can have it paid out in a number of different ways, right? Yeah, absolutely. Most of them do. I mean, not not every one of them. Some of them are pretty stingy, but the majority of them will give options. I'm actually going through this with one of my clients right now that's in his 50s and he's going to be retiring. He's going to have his pension and and what that payout would be so that d- we can find out, does it make sense to take the full check, meaning 100% and then no spousal benefit? The only way that I suggest that, and I'm not saying that you can't do this, but the only way that I would ever be okay with it with one of my clients that I would endorse it is if you had life insurance on the back end to pay out a significant amount of money to the spouse if that check goes away. I just had one last year, one of the widows that I was referencing, that she got several hundred thousand dollars uh, from the, the death of her husband. He was former military. He took the full check, a bunch of life insurance to pay out to her, and then she could recreate that income so that it was as if his pension check never went away. And that's the way that you're going to you're going to be okay with taking 100%. The majority of people that I run across, though, they actually don't have that big a life insurance or they maybe just don't want that much life insurance. So in that case, you're going to have to consider, or I would strongly want them to consider taking a reduction in their pension payout so that if something happens to them prematurely, then their spouse is going to get maybe 50% of their check or 75% or even 100% of that check, whether they're there or not. If you're giving me the option on that day, I would give a a balance between the two where you have some life insurance payout and then you have some pension payout. That way, if your spouse passes away, if you have the pension, if your spouse passes away prematurely to you, you have the larger check and then you can cancel the life insurance if you so choose. It gives you some more options in that way versus if you lock into the pension payout the way that that you think is best, you can't really change those after the fact, but your spouse, they're going to be given what you elect when you start it in most cases. 
And Grant, I want to back up and talk about within the first 30 days, as you mentioned, of course, uh, contacting Social Security, but you've been talking about life insurance. If a spouse uh, certainly had life insurance on them, you'll want to file that claim as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So when you get those death certificates, you'll probably want, I'm going to say, order maybe 15, 20 of those things because you never know who is going to want one of those things. And also, as a preventive measure, if you have separate bank accounts, some people do make sure that uh, each of you has a POD or a pay on death so that you can get at the funds in the other person's bank account. But I think a lot of people listening to the program today probably have bank accounts. There are a lot of things to consider. I'm going to wrap it up here by talking about, you know, when a spouse dies, the other's needs and their goals inevitably change, and that could include the goals for their retirement investment choices. Yeah, it changes quite a bit. I have one that was back from back home, someone that went to our church, and this is kind of a funny story. He he was very, very dare I say cheap. He was he was very okay. stingy with funds. He wouldn't <laughs> he would never buy anything that would be like a, a fun car or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And uh he passed away and within a few months she was driving a Mustang. So maybe <laughs> maybe that's some of the choices. <laughs> but from an investment standpoint, you have to make adjustments based on your risk tolerance. I've seen this time and time again that one of the spouses has a higher risk tolerance than the other. And let's say the higher risk tolerance spouse passes away. The spouse that didn't have as high a risk tolerance that was trusting them with the finances, that level of comfort is gone. So if we have a higher risk investment and that that spouse passes away, you're going to want to adjust to what your risk tolerance is and, and how you want to see things done moving forward. So it's definitely most likely going to change. I wouldn't say that the risk level would go up in most cases, but it is a possibility. You just have to have that conversation with your investment advisor at the appropriate time. I wouldn't do that within 30 days. I wouldn't make wholesale changes sure. within 30 days, but you know, maybe in two or three months that, hey, okay, let's look at our long-term investment strategy. What is that going to look like for you as you're, you're the one that has to take care of this for the rest of your life and get your retirement plan to fit inside of your risk tolerance? I talk about it all the time with our accumulation or our investment plan. We have to have the market for a certain amount of growth, but we also have to have your plan fit something that can not have restless nights. I mean, we want to have confidence in what we're doing in our plan so that we don't wake up too early or or not be able to go to bed too late. You know, I mean, we want to make sure that our confidence level in our investment plan is such that we know what we're doing, that we know why we're doing it, and the investments, they fit inside of what Uh, what our emotional state is going to be moving forward. Yeah, and uh, in my opinion, give yourself some emotional time to grieve. It is only natural, and it's a different length of time for everybody. But as we said, during the first 30 days, probably get that Social Security taken care of. And if there is life insurance, get that taken care of as well, too. You know, the loss of a spouse, it's a difficult, it's a trying time for everybody. But I think proper retirement income planning can help alleviate some of the financial stress that the surviving spouse may face. So if you're concerned about that topic, 
you want to maybe take some steps now to make things a little bit easier on the surviving spouse, or maybe you are a surviving spouse, I highly encourage you to give Grant a call there at Dorhout Retirement Services. Have a friendly conversation with Grant. Get your individual questions answered. No cost and no obligation for this, and certainly there's no judgment. You can do that by calling 402-281-0750. Now, you can do it this weekend if you'd like. Leave your information there, simply your name and your telephone number. Lovely Lisa will give you a call back during the week, and she'll uh, set you up with an appointment with Grant. Once again, that number 402-281-0750. Remember, there's no question that's going to be off limits. This is just a private conversation between you and Grant. It's just a friendly person with an ear that's going to help you get through this difficult time. And again, it's not going to cost you a dime. So call it 402-281-0750. Do it this weekend. You can also request your complimentary consultation online at doorhotretirementservices.com. That's D-O-R-H-O-U-T retirementservices.com. Want more straight talk and honest answers about your wealth management and retirement journey? Stay with us. There's more Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout here. We're back with more strategies for a successful retirement. This is the Retirement Blueprint. Once again, here's Grant Dorhout and Jeff Shea. We're so glad you decided to join us this weekend for the Retirement Blueprint. Once again, if you are just joining us, you have missed a great show. We've talked about some tax planning stuff. We also talked about the death of a spouse and how to handle that. If you've missed the show, remember we're a podcast. You can hear it on your terms by going to wherever you get your podcast, searching for the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. You can also Google that, Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. You'll find this show and all our past shows so that you can stay on top of your journey towards a confident retirement. Okay, Grant, in this section, I want to talk about how hybrid life insurance pays for long-term care. There's a pretty good chance that I think most people listening to us, Grant, are going to need long-term care as you age. But if you're like many Americans, you likely don't have a plan to pay for this sort of care. Now, when I think of life insurance, I think of a death benefit. What I want to talk about in this part of the program is this hybrid life insurance policy that can provide a death benefit while you're living, or I won't call it a death benefit, but can provide a benefit while you're living life insurance for the living. So I'm going to leave it off there and let you take it from there. Yeah, what you're talking about there is a chronic illness rider that a lot of policies have where you can have access to the death benefit. A lot of people are going to actually utilize uh, long-term care in some way, shape, or form. Actually, the number is once someone turns 65, an individual, there's about a 70% chance that they'll utilize long-term care in some way, shape, or form. Now, when I say that, sometimes people get a little discouraged because maybe they had a grandparent like I had, my my grandpa on my dad's side and my grandma on my mom's side where we visited them in the nursing home for several years. And that mm-hmm. we, we don't like the thought of that. I give some encouragement in the fact that that's not the only level of long-term care. None of us wants that, but it's a reality. The majority of the time you're going to see stages where we have home health care and then assisted living, and or you might have adult daycare or, or stuff like that before you get to that final stage. And how are we going to pay for it? There are traditional long-term care plans, but we're here to talk about the life insurance side of it, where you can build up a death benefit, let's say 100000 or 200000 or 500000 or 
million dollars in death benefit that a lot of companies will, if you can't perform two out of the six activities of daily living, you can access that death benefit in order to pay for these expenses. And you can typically hire whoever you want. If it's if it's something that you can have a grandchild do within reason, we don't want to obviously have certain activities that, that a grandchild would have to help us with. However, that is an option if they have to come over and help you cook or just get around the house or right. things like that. That's no big deal. If you can bathe yourself and go to the bathroom yourself and things like that, that might be a, a reality that you can have a grandchild come in and help you out. So, And I, I particularly like this type of option versus a traditional long-term care because I can predict it. If you live I have a benefit. If you die, there's a death benefit. And if you want to quit, you can get your money out within the parameters of the policy typically. And, you know, that might be five or 10 years later that you have that benefit available. But the fact is live, die or quit options where there's a benefit for you. Very, very good option for people. You don't have to regret making a premium payment and then not using a long-term care policy like on the traditional side. I like these options a lot more than that. And you talked about those activities of daily living, Grant, and they would include bathing, dressing, eating, using the toilet, transferring. It could be to or from a bed or or a chair in and out of the car, that sort of thing. Also caring for incontinence. Those are some of the activities of daily living that we're talking about here. So what you're saying is that there is a rider on this insurance policy that you can get. But before we get to that, I'm going to ask you the question that I think a lot of people may be listening to this that maybe would ask you is that, Well, why can't I count on Medicare or Medicaid to help me out with this? Yeah, well, you can, but there's a lot of limitations. First off, from Medicaid standpoint, you can't really have much for assets if you're going to rely on Medicaid paying for you. If you're going to apply for the state to pay for you, they're going to require that you have very little or no assets, and then you're going to have Medicaid be able to pay for you. And then there's a person saying, well, what about Medicare? I I know that there's some benefits there, and that's true. Between Medicare and a supplement, you could get up to 100 days paid for from Medicare and a Medicare supplement. So there's a lot of limitations and restrictions. If we have someone that's listening that says, well, I have a half a million dollars or I have a million dollars or I have a million dollars in land. I just had a client ask me about that. They had a, their parents owned 70 acres of land in Iowa. And they said, well, you know, we're getting down to a bare minimum in terms of cash. What can we do for the land? Well, you got to protect that in different ways. You can't apply for the state to pay for you and have a million dollar asset that you haven't liquidated, that it doesn't work that way. There's a lot of limitations. Yes, Medicare and Medicaid can pay, but it's not going to pay for all of the costs unless you have no money. So you talked about this rider on your life insurance policy. There's a long-term care rider. There's also a chronic illness or there's a critical illness rider on that policy. Yeah, and actually I want to expand on that. It's not just life insurance policies. I, I, I look at this type of policy like it's an asset-based long-term care. And you can do that inside of annuities as well. There's long-term care annuities that have these chronic illness riders where you can see what your benefit is years in the future before before you ever get there and you can see what the death benefit is all along or if you want to access certain amount of funds from those annuities or the life insurance policy prior to needing it for long-term care you can actually access it before that as well so yes there is a rider some of them it's free some of them it's not in terms of a life insurance policy we'll look at that typically in in terms of like an indexed universal life or a guaranteed universal life 
policy where, where you're going to see what that benefit is. Some companies will give you up to 2% of the death benefit per month. Some of them will go all the way up to 5% of the death benefit per month until you exhaust or at least get down to a very low amount, maybe $10,000 or $15,000. Every company is going to be different in how they actually structure it. But the fact is, it's a way that you can actually pay for long-term care, know that you have a benefit if you live and you need it, if you die and you didn't need it, there's a death benefit. Or if you want to quit, then you can get a portion or all of your money back out of that policy if you for some reason would want to quit prior to using it. And I want to point out, too, that some people may have term life insurance policies, and that's where, you know, you pay into this for a term of 20 years or so, and if you die, you get a death benefit. If you don't, well, you lose the money. This is not the sort of insurance policy that you can put a writer on. No, you can't use it with term policies. There's not one out there at this point. I'm not saying that it never will be. I would highly doubt that any insurance would do that because there's not a reliable way to actually price in a 10-year term, yet if you need some long-term care, then they can access the death benefit before passing away. It would throw their actuarial charts into a real tailspin, so I don't see it happening for a term policy. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I don't see that happening. You're going to have to get a permanent policy some whole life policies or an index universal life, or there could be a variable universal life. I wouldn't rely on that just because of the word variable in it. The the variations that can happen to the cash value could make it less reliable than, than something that's more fixed. So we can't do it with a term life insurance policy. If people have other than a term life, they've got some sort of life insurance policy. They're not sure exactly what it is. Can you add these riders to almost any policy or do you need a specific type of policy? I'm getting at whether people should cancel the policy that they've got and get another type of policy that they can add a rider to, or can you add a rider to most insurance policies? Yeah, you're not going to be able to add it in most cases after the fact. I don't know of one company that will allow you to add that rider after mm-hmm. the fact. So if you find out, let's say you have a company, it doesn't matter what company that you have a whole life with or a cash value bearing policy with, you find out if it does have this as an option. A chronic illness rider is what you're going to be looking for or a long-term care rider, if you have an annuity, you're going to be looking for, do I have that on there? And and if you don't have it on there, then what you'll do is if you're healthy enough, you're going to look to another company. If you want to have that type of benefit inside of a life insurance policy, you do not cancel the policy that you have. Do not do that. What you would do is you would apply with the new company and you would do what's called a 1035 exchange where they would send the money from company A to company B that's going to give you that additional benefit. They'll do a 1035 exchange over into the new policy. That's not a taxable event when you do that, when you do a 1035 exchange, and then that would cancel the policy. You would fill out the replacement paperwork and replace the old policy. Again, do not cancel your old policy if you find (laughs) out it doesn't have that benefit and you want that benefit. You want to make sure that you've applied with a new company, gotten approval, and then done the 1035 exchange over into the new company, and then that would cancel the old policy so you don't have any disruption in the benefits uh, or the death benefit that you have inside of that policy or either of those policies at any time. Yeah, that is something that I'm so glad you mentioned, Grant, is not canceling that insurance policy. You can do what's called a 1035 exchange, and again, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. 
Earlier, you had mentioned an index universal life policy, and I certainly understand the life policy part of that. But the index part of it, I'm a little unclear on. Does this follow an index, and how does this affect the life insurance policy? Yeah, that's a good question, Jeff. A lot of people that are hearing this maybe have never heard of an index universal life. Maybe they've heard of a whole life policy. It's similar, but it's also very different. A whole life policy is going to work off of uh, off of a dividend, and it's going to be more fixed depending on the company. You might get four or five or six as your annual dividend. On the indexed universal life side, what you're going to see is it's going to follow an index. The one that I would like to use is I'd like to use the S&P 500. I was going through this with this gentleman yesterday. We were going through the fact that it has zero as its floor. So there, if the market goes down, we don't have to have any risk of loss as a result of that, but it has 10% as its cap. So if the S&P 500 goes up four or five or six or eight or nine percent well we're going to get all of that but if the market goes up 12 percent we're going to get credited with 10 or like last year if the market goes up 20 percent we're going to get credited with 10. but on the flip side in 2022 if the s p 500 does that again and it goes down 20 25 percent well we're not going to have any loss it brings the extreme highs and the extreme lows of the market and it brings them into a more manageable range and it'll give you some more predictability inside of that type of policy. And there's different enhancements with different carriers that you can utilize. You might have certain performance factors that are going to increase the rate of return beyond that 10%. So if the market goes up 10%, you might be able to get more than that if you elect to pay for certain options inside of those policies. And and we like the indexed universal life because if you look over a period of time, you know, you're going to get more and more reliable returns. And when you're looking at pulling money from the death benefit, these are going to be tax-free benefits that you pull out during your lifetime. And if you need them for long-term care, they're going to be there for you. But if you pass away and you'd never need it for long-term care, of course, that's what we all hope for. Then that death benefit is going to be there. But that indexed portion, it's indexed linked to the market, but it's not in the market. And so that's a very important distinction. It follows the S&P 500 as a gauge to credit interest on your account, but it's not in the S&P 500 because if the S&P 500 goes down, you don't have any losses. Grant, I want to talk directly to our listeners right now. If you've been hearing this conversation and you're thinking to yourself, boy, how am I going to pay for long-term care? What is this hybrid life insurance policy? How can I get that? Well, you're in luck because we're inviting you to call Grant here at Doorhout Retirement Services and have that conversation about paying for long-term care, among other things that you may want to know about to put you on a path towards a successful retirement. Once again, that number to call with no cost and no obligation and no judgment. It's 402-281-0750, 402-281-0750. You can call it this weekend if you would like. Simply leave your name, your telephone number. Ask Lisa to give you a call back. She'll give you a call back next business day. Set you up with a conversation with Grant. Now, remember, when you do call Doorhout Retirement Services, you will not get another financial advisor down the chain that's going to talk to you. You'll get to talk to the fellow that you're hearing on the radio right here today, and that is Grant Doorhout. Also, you don't have to wait months or weeks to get in to see Grant. We have some appointments that are available much sooner than later. So what are you waiting? for. Long-term care is more than likely going to be in most of our futures. How are you going to pay for that? It's a great question to ask. No questions off the table. Again, 402-281-0750. Make that call. I highly encourage you to do that as soon as possible. 402-281-0750. You can also request your complimentary peace and retirement blueprint online at dorhoutretirementservices.com. D-O-R-H-O-U-T retirementservices.com. Grant, we 
we've had a great show today. I really wish everybody had had the chance to hear the entire show, but if you didn't, once again, we're a podcast. Google The Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. You'll find this show and all of our others. Well, Grant, they're kicking us out of here for the next show. I want to thank you for your time, but most importantly, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. For Grant Dorhout, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend, won't you? We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of The Retirement Blueprint right here on News Talk 1290. Coil. The opinions voiced in the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout are for general information and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Examples provided are hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. Investing in an alternative investment may only be suitable for persons who are able to assume the risk of losing a portion or all of their entire investment. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. All indices are unmanaged managed and may not be invested into directly. The performance of any index is not indicative of the performance of any investment and does not consider the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Jeff Shade and show guests are not affiliated with CWM LLC.